Welcome to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we're getting to know an awesome member of the board game community who does his own podcast with a group of awesome friends, Board Game Hot Takes, and its host, co-host, there's multiple hosts, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Tim. <laughs> How you doing, Tim? Hello, everybody. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Riley. Yeah, that was such a professional introduction from one <laughs> podcaster to the next. <laughs> yeah, we, we call ourselves co-hosts because we do have um, you know a group of us that are on there all the time. And I, I tend to be the one that kind of pushes the conversation forward. But, um, but I, I give, you know, everyone gets the same credit there. They're all working yeah. just as hard. Yeah, exactly. I was listening to one this morning, and I think Chris started it, mm. and he kind of took on your role. I mean, this is a couple months back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, is this the normal thing before a few months ago? I don't know. No, that was probably the board game tables one, and that was a topic that he specifically wanted to talk about. So he... um well, maybe not. Sometimes we switch out who does the intro just to kind of mix it up a little bit. But oh, okay. with, with with that particular, with the board game tables episode, he kind of brought up the topic and he wanted to drive the conversation because he was doing it for his own personal research. So maybe that's one you're listening to. But we do, the intro gets swapped out once in a while. Nice. It was rap gods. I just looked. Uh, okay. Okay. Got it. Because <laughs> it's current. I was listening to it just shortly before we were getting together. So Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. It's fun having a podcast. I know you listen to podcasts. You talk about that on your show. Yeah, it's, it's fun having a new podcast to listen to because you have that huge backlog. That's right. Uh, and I know now how many exactly that is because you just did your one year anniversary. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Um, I've been listening to board game podcasts for a long time. It's one of the you know you you probably heard that on the anniversary episode. We kind of talk about our background and why we started making the podcast. But um, I've always, you know, when I, when I discover a new podcast show, it's like, it always takes me a few episodes to get into it. You know, the first episode, you're just hearing these random voices. You don't know who they are, but if I stick with it for an episode or two and you start to hear, you know, learn their personalities and start to get to know the, the different people on there, then I get hooked and then I'll go back and do like what you just did and, you know, start listening all the way back. That's always fun. Exactly. It was for a while. I thought that because I had listened a couple months back, uh, and then I lost my listening time. And I think it was an episode with Steve, who's your brother, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I didn't learn the voices or anything and, and couldn't remember. But I was like, I know one of them's his brother. And so I thought it was Adam <laughs> for some reason. And so for a long time, I thought it was Adam that was your brother until this anniversary episode <laughs> where it corrected it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I would sus- suspect that we confuse people a lot because we have, I've been on every episode. Um, Adam has been on almost every one and Chris has been kind of our third. So most yeah. of the time, if you listen, you're going to hear us three. But then when one of us can't make it, then Steve or our friend Jen have kind of, you know, filled in. So I would guess that if you came in at a time when like Jen was on there, you're gonna be like, Oh, great, there's a female voice on this show. But then you only hear her every, you know, five to seven episodes or something like that. So yeah, it's it's not normal, but it's worked really well for us. Because we, you know, when we put this together, we're all, you know, working professionals, we all have families, we all have like a lot of things going on. And so we wanted to make it as easy as possible. And I specifically put the format together so we could swap people in and out. And hopefully, you know, at some point, I'd like to even do nights where we bring in 
you know, guests from outside, um, you know, so like have somebody on play game with us and have them part of the review process. So I kind of made the format flexible like that. And that's, that's been great for us. Cause if somebody can't make it, no big deal. We just pull another person in. But um, I, I would assume it's a little bit of a, a whiplash if you, if you don't <laughs> listen to the show regularly. Yeah. I, you, you've had a guest on there before, haven't you? We've done a couple interviews, but never done, oh, okay. you know, one of the things I would like to do at some point is bring in another reviewer, someone else who's creating board game reviews and stuff like that and have them come in and do what we do, which is we sit down, we play a game and we do it on tabletop simulator, or tabletopia, um, because we're all in different locations, but we play a game and then we immediately talk about it afterwards and kind of give our review or our thoughts on it. And, um, and so it'd be fun to have somebody come on and actually go through that whole process with us as an outsider, somebody who, you know, who, who we haven't done that with before. Yeah, that would be really fun. I'll do it. Sure. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that was an invite, obviously. You all heard it. No. <laughs> I didn't invite myself. <laughs> I'm not a great reviewer. I never know how to express my thoughts very well. I don't know. That's why I like to just ask a question and then I can be quiet and listen. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Reviewing is interesting and something that um, I think does come with practice a little bit. Uh, and I'm still learning and still getting feedback and, you know, recognizing like when I go back and listen to an episode, aside from, you know, potential audio quality issues or me, you know, stumbling through my words, Sometimes I'll listen and be like, wow, you know, I didn't need to be that harsh. Like I, I didn't intend to present something that way. And when you're just doing it on a podcast, you know, it's not like writing. You, you can't sit there and re-edit and say like, oh, you know what? I, that's not quite the right word I wanted to use. You just keep going. And so sometimes, uh, you know, on a podcast, you just talk through stuff and you'll, you'll hear it today. I'm sure I'll stumble through some things. You'd be like, what did he even mean when he just said that? But, you know, just keep going with it. <laughs> but with the reviews, I have gotten, I think... Um, better at being willing to be critical and and also trying to, uh, you know, but I think getting better at expressing why we're critical about something. You know, when we start out, we, you know, we love board games and we love the people creating them for us. And, and so we're not, you know, we, we don't want to be mean. We don't want to pick on games. Um, and so it's, it's easier to just be like, yeah, I love all these things about it. Um, but you know, I think it's it's a, it's a value to to listeners as well to kind of hear what you didn't like about it or what didn't work. And I think we're getting better at that. I really like it because I like you go on Twitter or you go on YouTube and you watch videos and they really like hype up the games. Yeah. You know, some of them are being paid to, so they should be hyping it up. And so I'll see a game and I'll be really, really hyped for it and be like, I should probably buy this. But then I've listened to your episodes on some of them and you give a very honest, all of you do a really good job of like portraying it as it actually is as, as a player. And each of you have different uh, likes and dislikes. Yeah. And I love that. And, and I think it gives a lot to like deescalate my hype into impulse buying. And sometimes I want to buy a game more after I listen and sometimes less uh, like Windward. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, I was like, I, I really liked that episode and it made me really interested, but it was actually like on my list to buy. And now it's on my list to try because there were some things that I was like, okay, well, 
that sounds like it would be a rough mechanic, and I don't know if I would like that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a game that's worth trying before you buy it. I, I think it could be a good experience for some people, but you you know, you heard my thoughts on it. It's it definitely wasn't. I'm glad that I didn't buy it. Let me let me just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, it's aside from just trying to get better at at you know offering that value. One of the places that I'm a little <laughs> that I'm a little uncomfortable doing it. You know, we you mentioned we've had some um, we've had some designers on our show that we've interviewed. We've interviewed uh, Jamie Stegmeyer and we've interviewed James Wilson of Everdell fame. We interviewed another um, kind of a, a, a designer who just put out his first game, Gary Dworetsky. And, you know, we have these nice conversations and get to know folks and then we review their games. And that is something that's still like we did the Red Rising review, which we are all pretty, you know, we were fairly fond on. Chris was not a big fan during the review process, but I, it definitely was when I had a criticism to say it, it, it stung a little bit to, you know, after having just talked to Jamie Stegmeyer a couple of weeks earlier and Alex Schmidt a couple of weeks earlier about it, it stung a little bit to raise a concern. So that's something I'm working to get past. And now I've got another hurdle is that I just, um, I just recently realized like there are games I really want to talk about on the show, but I don't want to buy them. So I, I thought, you know, we've got an audience now. Let's reach out to the, the publishers and see if they want us to send us a copy. And so far, every game I've asked for, the publishers have sent me a copy on. It's not many because um, we're being pretty picky about what we're playing and what we're reviewing. But um, that's also something that I'm, I'm going to be putting together some of my thoughts on a couple of those review copies pretty soon. And that's something I have to be very aware of that, you know, it was really nice of the publishers to send that to me, but I, I still want to. I still want to do the podcast in the same way. I still want to offer the same value to the listeners. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's something that's, that's, I think, uh, you know, we're going to do our best at continuing to, uh, to be honest about. I can't even imagine. <laughs> well, I guess I can't, I was on an episode of organized fun, which you mm-hmm. were on an episode of organized fun. Yep. And they got an advanced copy of something coming to Kickstarter and we kind of tore it apart. <laughs> <laughs> was that that little uh, 52 card deck uh, yeah. game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, yeah, it had some merits and stuff, but it was, and then he tagged the, the yeah. publisher in the thing. And I was like, Oh gosh, but they had a good <laughs> back and forth about it. Like it was a productive feedback thing and they were, okay. they were grateful for the information. So it, it worked out. But at the same time, it's just like, I don't want to break anybody's heart. Yeah. Or, you know, like, yeah, that's that's one of the nice things is that we are still, I think, small enough. We're not on most publishers or designers' radars, and so I, you know, when I'm posting stuff on social media about a review we did, I usually won't, um, you know, tag the designer or the publisher if it was a really negative review. Um, if it was a mixed review, I'll still tag them. If it was, you know, if, if one of our team members really liked it, but if all of us didn't like it, I usually just don't tag them um, because I just don't, you know, like I don't want to. I don't want to rub it in their face. You know, I don't want, I don't want to make somebody feel bad about it. So yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. I, I don't know. I, I would think that designers, maybe some designers probably have thicker skin. Some designers probably like to hear that feedback and learn from it, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I still feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's funny. I've seen a couple of uh, kind of negative reviews and you know, the person will just put it out there and say like, Hey, this is by this person. And then the company won't listen to it first and they'll just retweet it. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like they're retweeting an honest review by somebody. So that's yeah, well, cool. You know, I, that's one of the things I, I appreciate. I, I had a chance to talk with Jamie Stegmeyer, but I followed him for a little while as well. You know, I think for a lot of us when we're getting into the hobby, you know, the Stonemeyer games, um, they stand out, you know, the flashy games that are, that are interesting themes. And so that was one of the first publishers that I started to follow. And one of the things I appreciate is his philosophy with reviewers is he publicly says he will never he'll never listen to a review. So if a, re- oh, if okay. a review comes in for one of his games, he won't listen to it and he will share it because one, he doesn't want to have that negative bias and feel like he doesn't, you know, doesn't want to send a review copy to that person before. But also he actually wants his audience. He wants the people that are playing his game to like the game. So if somebody's got a negative review, he wants people to hear that so that they can make up their mind about it. Um, no, he's in a unique position, I think, because he's, um, you know, because he's got a big following, he's going to sell games probably regardless of how they review. And I think there are smaller publishers or designers that aren't going to get that opportunity. They get, they get a bad review from a big reviewer and they may never sell a game. So um, I think it's probably a different perspective there, but I appreciate the perspective anyway. It definitely makes me feel better as a, as somebody who's starting to review games about being honest and, and not having to worry about that relationship. Yeah. Well, us listeners really appreciate it because we know we can trust you. We know we can, you know, it's not like you're saying, buy this, buy this. Yeah. You're just giving your impressions and I love it. Yeah. I think part of what that, that comes from as well is that I am personally not naturally hyped. Um, You know, I'm kind of a minimalist. I love board games and I would be playing them all the time if I could, but I'm pretty hesitant to buy something if it's not going to get played and it'll usually leave my collection right away. So, um, you know, I think, Chris, a little less so, he's a little newer to the hobby. So he still is kind of in the hype machine and, you know, doesn't mind just like picking everything up. And, but for me, I, I really don't think that people should be going out and backing everything on Kickstarter. I mean, it's great if, you know, people can make their choices, obviously. I think a lot of people would benefit from like pausing for a second and thinking about whether that's actually valuable. Personally, I think the whole Kickstarter, um, you know, there's a value for Kickstarter to get some small games ever made or published but for consumers i think kickstarter is a terrible uh, it's a terrible idea you know the consumer has to put up the money for it they don't know when they're going to get their game if ever in some cases and most of the time you don't actually know what you're getting you know you you, you haven't heard valid reviews before it's come out you haven't heard other players that to know what it's like so my perspective at this point on kickstarter is like if it's a if it's a reprint of a game that's already well reviewed i'm interested if it's a new game, unless it's just a project I really want to support, then I, I have zero interest in doing it. And I, I think I think a lot of people would benefit from just holding off until it comes out to retail because, you know, you can wait. You probably have 50 other games on your shelf right now that that haven't been played. So. So, yeah, definitely not part of the hype train if I can if I can help it. <laughs> That's I'm envious because I have that FOMO so much. <laughs> it's it, it's hard right because yeah you see a game that looks really cool and everybody's talking about it and oh you can only get that exclusive thing when it comes out and for me it's components like i i don't want to miss out if it's a game i ultimately end up getting if it's got an upgraded component i want that i like having the you know high quality components but a lot of this stuff that comes in kickstarters that you're afraid of missing out on is going to be like expansions and contents and i kind of took a stock of all the 
Kickstarters I had backed and the Kickstarters that I knew my friends had backed. And we've never touched any of that extra content because we're playing too many games. So, you know, you explore the base game enough and then you just, you know, almost never get to anything outside of that. So, it, you know, a FOMO is definitely a thing, but I, I still don't think it's good for the consumers. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I wish it were different. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your group, the board game hot or the the hot takers, as I started calling you guys. I like that. I've been trying to figure out what our how we should refer to ourselves, and you, you mentioned that on Twitter yesterday. I like that. That's that's good. That's our new name. <laughs> I'm sure it'll. I'm sure there's something better out there. <laughs> uh, well, the name itself is kind of clunky, so we didn't make it easy to create a nickname on it. But um, you know, that's that's life. We just a little side note. We came up with that name. It was kind of like I, I mentioned in the um, origin story episode that. Essentially, Adam just threw out an idea and said, Tim, let's do a podcast. And so I put together my thoughts on what it would be and just brainstormed a name. And I said, hey, we'll just do our immediate thoughts. Let's call it something like Board Game Hot Takes. And then we recorded so quickly and I just wanted to kind of put together an intro. So I used that name in our test episode, but then we liked it. So we we published it. And so we just kept the name. So it was never really intended to be, you know, I think we could have come up with something more clever, interesting. We've even talked about kind of rebranding at some point, but um, I don't know. It works. It is hard to, I, I, I was hoping to have something that we could call our community members though. And hot takers, I don't know. Does, does, it, does, it, does it flop the tongue neck, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, that's really awesome though. Uh, I mean, I obsessed over my name for a while and I still came up with something super clunky. <laughs> so <laughs> it does not fit on most things. Uh <laughs> uh, when I very first started following you guys on Twitter, I thought that it was going to be like hot takes. Like there's kind of two meanings between hot takes yeah. of like instantaneous right after, or, you know, immediately. Or the other one is like, this is a very uh, hot controversial, take. Yeah. controversial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I expected it to be controversial, but then when I started listening to the show, which I actually yeah, when I started listening to the show, I was a little relieved because I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is better than I expected. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's part of the problem with the brand. It's one of the reasons why we haven't loved it is because we don't want to necessarily give that impression. I mean, if you listen to our Marvel United review, then you'll know that we do have hot takes sometimes. But um, <laughs> What are you talking but, about? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm... I've never intended it to be a controversial or even to incite controversy. I think I controversy. I think I, I kind of incorrectly used the name when I brainstormed it. And again, it just stuck. And in fact, I got feedback. Uh, Kellen from um, Board Game Barrage uh, you know, was nice enough when we first started putting out the episodes. He listened to one of our episodes and gave me feedback on it. And, and that was one of the things he said. He's like, I really expected a different, you know, kind of the format from the name. Like I expected more you know, controversy. And, and, and instead, it's a little bit more scholastic. You're just kind of going through, you know, this formula that works well, but I don't think the brand fits. I was like, you're absolutely right. But, you know, I've already paid for a domain name. I paid for a logo <laughs> creation. Like, um, I'm not ready to change it yet. Maybe that'll come. So definitely, that's not what we intended. And in fact, we're generally pretty calm. We're, we're a pretty chill group of people. Um, and if anything, you know, I would say we, we all lean, you know, on the left politically and socially. And, um, you know, I, I think unfortunately when you see our name, I think some people probably assume it's, it's going to be us kicking off, you know, kicking up, um, dust and, 
and uh, you know, saying things that are controversial. I don't think you're going to get too much controversy from us. So that's <laughs> bad branding. No, I, I mean, I like it. it. It caught my interest. I think it catches a lot of people's interest. Like, what are these, what are these people saying? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I actually was wondering, I was like, you guys type, talked about climate control in one of your more recent episodes because of mm. the Kickstarter that just launched the day we're recording this. That's right. Yep. Earth Rising. Yep. Earth Rising. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, they're probably left leaning. And then in Rap Gods, you talked about guns and how you don't like them in your game. And I was like, okay, well, definitely left. Like, okay, <laughs> now I know their political stance. Yeah. And we did that kind of intentionally. In fact, there's another episode you probably haven't gotten to yet. Um, I can't remember which episode it's on, but we actually dedicate the whole second section to um, making sure, uh, you know, p- basically talking about minorities and design and trying to highlight female designers, LGBT designers, minority designers. Um, that's important to us. And the Rap Gods episode is one of many that comes out of that in a very intentional, you know, Chris picked that game because he wanted a minority game featured. Um, now we're ca- we're cautious about it because we don't want to play games and then trash games from minority designers, right? That's definitely not our intent. But that was yeah. a game that was interesting enough. We all wanted to try it. And luckily we all really loved it. Um, but you'll hear, especially in the second s- section of our show, oftentimes we'll try to highlight games by minority designers um, or, as, again, uh, women designers. Chris uh, happened to highlight, I think it was in the Windward episode where he highlighted um, that he was looking for an indigenous designer. And so he found and, and bought a game uh, that I'm excited to hear how it, how it is for him. So, yeah, I think if you, you know, and that's intentional. And we, we post about it on Twitter and stuff. I, you know, I'm fine with people listening if they have their own opinions, but I don't want, I don't want to build a community that is, um, are not people I would want to spend time with. And, and, you know, that's, there's, there's certain values that I just don't really want to be around. So I'm happy to put that out publicly. Hopefully the rest of my, my crew is okay with me saying all this stuff, but that's my feeling. They're like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily we all do, you know, our whole group does, you know, have pretty similar leanings, pretty similar opinions. And so we, you know, we can all relate in that way. We all feel good about being in each other's company and, and our values and our ethics and things like that. So that's at, yeah. le- at least it's, it's good with our group to be in that situation. Uh, I want to jump on the indigenous thing real quick. I'm part native American. I don't okay. look it. I'm super white. <laughs> I I'm always looking for, you know, native American designers or even just players. You don't see, I don't see a lot on Twitter or, or mm-hmm. out there very often. Uh, so if any listeners know of either players or um, or designers, publishers, whatever, at me or let me know, uh, and I'll, I'll go follow them on Twitter because I really want to fill my feed with with that. It's something that's yeah. important to me. One thing, really quickly, the, one one of the things that Chris did for his research, and you know, I wouldn't call this research necessarily because it was kind of done for him, but Aaron Lang put out a post. Um, you know, Eric Lang, the designer, right? We yeah. follow him on Twitter. But he put out a post a couple months back where he specifically said, hey, I want to highlight some uh, indigenous designers. So, um, you know, let me know. And so that's where Chris found about that that game that he featured. Um, so you can find there weren't a whole lot, but you can find some others out there. But in my opinion, I think that's why representation matters. There's probably not a lot of indigenous players or designers because they're not being represented, right? I mean, like, the, it's just a, a community that just isn't part of this world. Um, I think yeah. it's been traditionally a problem with women. I th- it's getting better, but you know that's why something like three percent of our board game designers are women, or at least the ones that are 
you know, that are popular in selling games. And it's just because there's a lot fewer out there. They haven't been, you know, welcomed into the, into the hobby in the past. So I'm glad to see that that's improving, but, um, but that's one of the reasons why we think representation of, of all kinds of, you know, minority groups is important. Absolutely. I, yeah, 100% agree. Well, let's talk about each of your roles in the podcast. You all have almost a specialty. So like what you bring to the table and what type of games you lean towards. Yeah. And this wasn't really, it's kind of funny because when we started the podcast, I'd only known Adam for probably five to six months. Um, But pretty much as soon as we met, we started playing together once or twice a week, you know, first right before the pandemic in person. And then, you know, as soon as, as soon as everything shut down, we went to online playing. But he, when we started the podcast, I didn't know him that well. So I'm still, you know, or have been still learning his own tastes. Um, Chris is newer into the hobby, as he mentioned, you know, I introduced him. And so most of the games he'd played in the past were games that I brought over. And that had just started to shift shortly before the pandemic too, where he was starting to kind of build his own collection and, you know, identify what he liked in games and what he didn't. So this podcast has actually been a great way for us to learn, you know, what we like, who likes what. Now, there are some clear delineators after doing this for a year. Um, I'm definitely the Euro game guy. Like, I like, you know, I like puzzles. I like, you know, I like low conflict games. Um, I like thematic Euros. So I prefer, you know, Euros that are set in sci fi worlds or set in fantasy worlds or things like that rather than your dry, you know, Feldian based on a European city worlds, but I'm definitely the Euro guy. So when we're picking what we do to pick our games every week is we kind of rotate. One of us will pick the game and then, you know, it'll go around in a circle. So you get a nice variety of the types of games, but if there's a Euro game on the list uh, on the podcast, it was probably my choice. (laughs) Chris, on the other hand, he just loves production. He loves big minis. He loves, you know, monsters. So if it's, if it's a game with, with big production, um, you know, area control and kind of like um, troops on a map games are, are one of the things that he likes a lot. So when we play Cthulhu Wars or Blood Rage, you know, <clears throat> those are traditionally, those are Chris's choices. That's that's his type of thing. And then Adam's weird. He's just got quirky tastes. I think, um, you know, he he likes a bit of both. Uh, he definitely leans towards the conflict side. He he likes games where there's a lot of like you know, I can, I can go after Tim and I can, you know, beat up on him. So, and they do that. They, they always, they always gang up on me, but um, <laughs> that that's, you know, he's, he's got a weird mix. Like if you listen to his top 10, his top 10 is one of the quirkiest top 10 lists I've ever heard. Um, some of the games that I absolutely love and some of the games that I don't like at all. Um, so yeah, he's a little harder for me to pin down. I think he's always just discovering and, you know, figuring stuff out too. So it makes sense. When you're new to the hobby, you think you know what you like, and then you'll try something you don't think you would like, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe I like this type of game. Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys did, there were two episodes, uh, Obsession, Mm -hmm. which was a game that I've heard really good things about, but it's a theme that didn't catch me, and you talked about how that was a theme that you really liked. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a funny one. I I love Jane Austen. I I grew up like reading and loving movies, you know, set in that in that you know time period. And so this was a this was a perfect theme for me. Um, so yeah, I know and that was a hard one. You know, Chris was pushing back on it. And Adam was laughing at me about it for <laughs> for months, and I finally, you know, I was like, you know, whatever. I'm just going to bring it to the table. We're going to play it, and they they all got into it. It was great. It was great. 
Yeah, I was really surprised, you know, after listening to a few episodes and getting a taste for what everyone kind of liked when everyone was like into that game, I thought, yeah, okay, well, all right. I like even from you guys' description and and your takes on it, I was like, shoot, I really want to play this game now. <laughs> that was when I had like I respected people who liked it, but had no interest in playing it. And now I'm like, I got to play this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, you probably caught it a little bit. Like I liked the game, but I would even say that I was a little disappointed by the gameplay. Not, not greatly. Yeah. It's, it's a good game, um, but it didn't do everything right for me. But the theme still makes me want to, you know, play it more. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Chris loved it. He, he didn't like the theme at all. And he just had a blast playing it. He's, he, I think he was the hottest on it. So it's, it's really funny how games connect sometimes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, and then, I mean, there's games that are outside of your wheelhouse that like you really liked. Like Blood Rage was a surprise for you. Yeah, yeah, Blood Rage was great. Another one that I really didn't, that I had no interest in the theme and not much interest in the gameplay, and that was Smartphone Inc., which we just reviewed oh, yeah. a couple, few, you know, a couple months back. And um, yeah, that was I, that was a huge hit for me too. I absolutely loved it. You know, that's the thing. That's why I think it's fun too that we, you know, we don't have just one person picking the game. So I get a chance to play a bunch of games that I might not have chosen, but sometimes I love them. Sometimes I don't. You know, sometimes I can read the rule book and be like. I don't think this is a game for me. Windward was a great example of that. I was happy to go in and play it for Chris's sake, but I hadn't heard much about it. And I read the rules and I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to have much fun playing this. And, and I was right in that case. But sometimes sometimes you get surprised. Rap yeah. Gods surprised me, actually. Rap Gods was a game that I, you know, I wanted to support the project um, and, and, you know, the designer. But I read the rules and I really didn't think that was going to be a fun game. And it was a, it was a blast. So it's always fun to, to find those things, those jewels. I thought that was interesting too, because that was another one where like I had a minor interest in because I had play tested one of his games that he's working on now. Okay. Uh, and with him, and he was really cool. But well, actually, I didn't get to finish play testing it. We didn't get too far into it because there was a a problem on Tabletop Simulator. Anyways, okay. it happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially with prototypes. Uh, and so I was like really curious to go back and try some of his older stuff. So, uh, hearing that review was like oh cool like and also made me really bummed that i didn't get to fully test out his game his new game he's working on uh but anyways i ramble i should have asked this before how did you meet all of your co-hosts yeah so one if you we we go a little bit into this on our one-year anniversary episode so if you're listening and you're interested to know more about us you're probably not but if you are that's that's a good place to find it (laughs) But uh, yeah, I, you know, Steve, who is an occasional co-host with us, he's my brother, obviously, I grew up playing games with him, he introduced me to a lot of the hobby, Um, I really got into, I would say, this hobby adjacent with Magic the Gathering, that was like a lifestyle game for me for about 20 years, he introduced me to it. Um, But he also, over the years, have been introducing me to other hobby board games. And so when I really started to get into this hobby, you know, he was an easy fit. So when he he lives across the country, he lives in Portland, I live in Phoenix now. But when we, you know, twice a year or so, we'll we'll fly one or the other. We'll fly over and spend a weekend together. And mostly all we do is play games and it's awesome. And, you know, we always have a, a great time doing it. Jen is the one that I knew the second most. When I moved to California about 11 years ago, um, she, you know, my wife and I were just new there. We're trying to meet some new couples. And so my wife found a meetup group that's for, you know, just social couples, you know, to get to know each other. And Jen had actually put that group together. And so we got there, we met her and her husband at the time, as well as a couple other people. 
And then the group basically disbanded right away because, you know, she's, she's like, I put this group together and meet people and I met some people I really like. So I don't, I don't need to keep doing this group. <laughs> um, but she's been friends ever since. And, um, you know, she went through a divorce a few years ago. So, um, you know, she's got three kids and they're about my daughter's age. So it's just a great, you know, it's, it's been a great fit to kind of help her, you know, move on. And we've had a good, she was, she was our like quarantine friend. Um, so, you know, for the last year and a half, and we really weren't doing anything social at all. Um, you know, we, she was in our pods, so her and her kids would come over and we had always, when we used to hang out, we'd play, you know, simple card games, Yahtzee, things like that. And I introduced her to Castles of Burgundy a few years ago when we were vacationing together and it took a couple of plays for it to, to click. And now she'll tell you that it's the best game of all time. She loves it. But now that's like our thing almost every weekend. She, she's like, Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing Saturday? Let's get together and play some games. So she's, she's a, a an awesome gaming buddy as well. Um, Adam, I met, um, like I said, just about uh, a few months before the pandemic started, and I met him at a at a local gaming group. Like Chris couldn't get together one day to game. He he was my local gamer. My wife was like, "Hey, I think there's a there's a thing going on at my church." She was uh, going to the UU Church um, in Long Beach, California, and she's like, "They have a gaming day on Saturdays. Why don't you go over there?" So I went over there, met Adam while we were just waiting for a game to get started. And I was like, "Wow, this guy seems like a normal guy." So I invited him to my local. I was putting on a regular like weekly game night. And he showed up at the next one and we, we just hit it off. So that's been awesome. And then Chris, um, I met several years before that, after we moved to Long Beach, uh, California and, um, just hit it off with his family. And he, I kind of dragged him into the hobby. Like one day, you know, I was just like, Hey man, I, you won't feel like playing some board games with me. Our wives are doing something else. He's like, sure. Why not? So he had no interest at all. He was just, you know, he was game to give it a try. And I think for a few games, he just kind of, you know, kind of went along with it, but then he started to actually find things that he was passionate about. I remember I had just gotten inside. This was back in like 2017 and brought it out for game night. And Chris wouldn't stop talking about it for like a week because, you know, it had the minis, <laughs> it had the theme going on. It had a cool theme that he was excited about. And I think that's was probably the the game that really got him to be like, wow, I actually am excited about this hobby and, and you know, what could come out of it. So, yeah, so that's, that's where uh, kind of all over the place. I'm envious. I want like board game friends. <laughs> yeah, Riley can be my board game friend. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> this it's been hard because we moved to uh, to the Scottsdale Phoenix area, um, you know, last October. So right in the middle of the pandemic, and there were you know again we were being pretty cautious. We have a lot of younger kids, and you know don't want to be involved in spreading this this disease and stuff. So until the adults were vaccinated in our group, we weren't really weren't doing anything. Um, outside of the house. So moved here and really didn't get a chance to meet anybody for for months. Um, but, uh, you know, it's starting to open up a little bit. We're still being cautious, but I've, I've gone to a couple local gaming groups here and started to meet some people that I like playing with, that I like talking to. So my hope is to eventually have another like weekly in-person game night with six to eight people uh, like I used to do in Long Beach. I love that. That's like my, that's like my favorite, you know, time of the week. Um, Monday nights have filled in for that. And it's great. I love hanging out with these guys every Monday night and doing the podcast with them and playing a game with them. But oh man, am I tired of playing games online, like tabletop simulator. <laughs> it is not the same experience as playing in person. There's always no. somebody's internet goes out halfway through. There's always like, you know, interface issues with dragging the pieces around. Um, there's, you know, you try to use these scripted versions of games and and half the time the script set, sets something up wrong. So you just played a two hour game and you realize at the end that it wasn't even set up correctly. Uh, so I'm pretty tired of that stuff. Looking forward to more in-person gaming for sure. Yeah, definitely. 
That's exciting, though. I mean, it's nice you have a group, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you'll never stop playing TTS because or online games because you have a podcast (laughs) around it at this point. I know. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And I think that's probably good, too, because it does, you know, it'll allow us to all stay connected. You know, this group of friends that I that I've made over time and my brother even, you know, I I I talk to and, and hang out with my brother more now because of the podcast and because of our weekly game night than I have for years because him and I have not lived close together for like 12 years. Um, so, you know, that, that's been awesome. It's been fun to spend time with him, but also these other friends that I've made, I'm glad that we've got a connection. It can be frustrating sometimes, you know, playing online or, you know, like having that be the way that you are interacting with people, but we still have a great time. We played Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy last night before we recorded our podcast and just like, you know, it was awesome. Laughed all the way through it and, uh, you know, t- you know, trash talked. And so yeah, it's, 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 it's fun to do even with some of the, tr- the struggles with it. Yeah. Every time I'm listening, I'm just like, oh, these are guys I would love to game with sometime. And uh, Scott or Mesa, I was born in Mesa. And so I still have okay. like family there, uh, Okay, which is only I mean, that's only like, what, 30 minutes from Scott's. Yeah, time. exactly. Yep, for sure. So. Well, if you're ever come here, if you're ever here visiting family, Riley, we got to get together. We'll, yeah, uh, we'll do game day. I'll hit you up. I was up in Portland, but I I don't don't know Adam or Steve, so <laughs> it's Chris and Steve. Chris and Steve. Oh, Chris and in Steve. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Adam's I'm still in Long Beach. Long Beach. Okay, yeah. That's right. I knew that. I listened to the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot to keep track of. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just happy that now I can identify your voices and your names because there's Adam, Chris, Steve, Jen. Tim. I know oh. Tim, of course. <laughs> yeah, we uh, for the first time too. I think one of the one of the things we probably should have been doing more is kind of putting a face to our, our name, our name, you know, with the podcast, I think it's easier for people to connect. So because of the anniversary episode, and it was kind of our origin story. I finally just, you know, and they're not good because I'm not a good photo editor, but I just took screen grabs from our video, <laughs> from our recording, and then, you know, edit them a little bit and posted them up on our Twitter feed. So if you want to see what we all look like, it, it, it's up there now on Twitter. Uh, let's get to, a little bit of meat here, a little controversy, some hot takes here. Marvel United, we have to talk about it because it's one of my favorite <laughs> games. <laughs> That's great, Riley. So tell me, what do you love about Marvel United? I just, I love, well, Reckoners. Have you played Reckoners? I haven't, no. I'm aware of the game. I, okay, I know yeah. all about it, but I haven't played it. So that was my favorite game for a while, but then this okay. took that place because I like that there's a set number of cards you can use in this you guys have some very valid points, but I feel like a little knowledge helps where like every character has a different amount of movement, attack, uh, heroics, and well, wilds. Every every character has like a wild and a double wild. And so I take those out completely because that's playing on the heroic mode. And it makes every character like really, really feel different because like Hulk can move around a lot and smash. He doesn't do like a lot of heroics. And so like you have to actually kind of plan out your team. I wish they did a better job of like telling you who is better at what. Yeah. So that you could like actually strategize that. But I so that's you know, I probably didn't catch that with my one play and and Chris played a few times. I but it's not really just that their decks are a little bit asymmetric. I think that was a turnoff to us. Um, To me, it was that 
there is not too much interesting going on with the cards, you know, regardless of what it is. It's always one of three icons, right? I think it's, you know, it's three icons and it might be two of one or one of two different kinds or just a single icon. And when I compare that to other games of a similar kind of learning weight um, that, that are card based, let's take a game like Star Realms, for example, very easy deck builder. It has three basic icons that you're usually using. But probably 40% of the cards in the deck also have some other text on them. So it might say, yeah, do three damage, but then also draw another card. And just by adding a little bit extra that really it, it's written right on the card. So it doesn't take extra rules head or anything like that. It gives you so much more variety in what the cards do and, and you know how interesting they are when they come up and how they interact with each other. And that's where, for me, again, with one gameplay that Marvel United didn't get me too excited. It felt like every time I was looking at a hand of three things to do, and I know you can put them together in a certain way. But all that said, first of all, you know, I think it's good to note that I am not a big co-op player. Um, That's I, like true. Co-op games in general, I'm just not a huge fan of. And I think there are some fun ones and I think they're fine. Um, you know, I, I still enjoy playing a game of Pandemic or, you know, I played Lost uh, Forbidden Island with, um, with the Organized Fun guys. I still had a fun time doing it, but they don't get me too excited. So when we were playing that game at Chris's choice, because he, you know, went all in on this on this Kickstarter and he really wanted to try it with me, I had a fine time playing the game. Chris didn't. And and a lot of what I was trying to say on the podcast was about Chris's expectations and how let down he was. Like the game didn't wow me. I wouldn't necessarily choose to go back to it, but I didn't hate it. I was sitting there trying to work out the puzzle with them and got yeah. through it. And if he wanted to jump in and play another game, I would have been happy to do it. Um, but, you know, it was more just about like, you know, it was it's the Kickstarter thing. I think that's one of the things that really turned me off. This one more than most where, you know, people would go in $300 on a game that that's great. Riley, you love the game. I'm, I'm so glad if, if people are having fun with it and, and, get, and love and exploring it and things like that. But, you know, at least from Chris's perspective, he felt like it was a huge letdown, a huge disappointment. And I was trying to speak to that a little bit. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, that was me probably not articulating very well. I wasn't that negative on the review. It was more just uh, you just killed somebody for three hundred dollars on a game that they, <laughs> they they didn't enjoy at all. If he'd picked that up for forty bucks at a at a store, you know, I think it's totally worth the experience. And you got to try a game you didn't love it. That's okay, um, but it's different when you you know when you go all in on something you never got a chance to play or never heard a reviewer do. So it was probably as much about the way the campaign was run as it was the game itself. Well, I definitely agree. I had a problem. I almost didn't back it. I mean, I was like minute one backing it, you know, because I, I was yeah. hyped up about it and I almost pulled out because they I thought I kept waiting for them to release like a gameplay video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, they're not releasing it because it's going to be boring. Like, <laughs> there's no way around this. It's not going to be a good game, you know, like and that was my thought for a long time. And even like weeks until I got it, I had the same thought. Like, I, I was just like, you know what, I'll. I want to get into painting miniatures anyway. So, and I love Marvel. So at the very least I'll have these miniatures to paint. And, and then when I got it, I was very pleasantly surprised, especially like playing through different villains and how mm-hmm. different they all feel and how thematic they feel. Um, so, it, but I totally get not getting into it. <laughs> I wish it was actually way deeper. I wish it was something more like Cthulhu may die or, you know, like almost any other Eric Lane game. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, 
uh, this bums me out to say because Marvel Champions is also one of my favorite games. Okay. But I am refusing to play. Uh, what's the Arkham one? Um, the Arkham Cor- uh, card game, Arkham Horror card game. There Arkham we go. Yeah. Game or something like that. Yeah. I don't know why I spaced one word of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the same type of game, but the Arkham Horror one is way deeper. Yeah. And has a lot more to it. And I know that. And I don't want to play it because then I'll feel like my Marvel Champions is like a very <laughs> hollow experience. Yeah, you have a loyalty to that game. I think it's a hard thing. Um, you know, I think you you invest so much. And I've got, a, I've got an example of this. But you invest so much when you go through a Kickstarter and you get excited about it and you're waiting for it for a long time. And then it comes and you pull it out. And it's like beautiful and you want to love it. And I think that's another struggle that I have as a reviewer of getting too excited about a game and then not, you know, and then I think it's easy to kind of put more positive feelings on something that, because you want to love it. It's hard to do, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get something you're really excited about and then feel like you're, yeah, these things we put, we put these value on things that, uh, that we, we don't need to, they're not, they don't have feelings. They're not going to feel bad if you don't like (laughs) this one. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And everyone has different tastes. That's just because you hate something doesn't mean somebody else is going to. Absolutely. Yeah. And likely the awesome thing about board games, right, is like with the Organized Fun episode that I was in, they were not great games for us. We did not enjoy them very much, but we had an absolute blast playing them because we were playing them together. Like that's what board games are about. Hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's that. Absolutely. And the good news is that if there, if you play a game that you don't like, somebody else will probably like it. Move it on. And also don't feel bad for the, the game because there are plenty of other people that love that game, even if it wasn't perfect for you. Which I, again, ties back to your, I If you haven't listened to Board Game Hot Takes, go listen, of course. I think the anniversary episode would be a good one to jump in on because then you can kind of get to know the hosts and... And yeah, I think it's a, it's just a fun way to get to know you. And then the other episodes uh, follow a certain format that's really cool. I don't drink, uh, but I love the newer segment of of uh, is it Chris? Chris, yeah, yeah. Chris pairs drinks with games, and I like. I I'm just like. I, I have no interest in drinking, you know, but but I do want to make virgin versions of all these <laughs> yummy drinks. Yeah, I love that segment so much because Chris really puts a lot into it. Um, you, I don't know if you can tell that when he's speaking to it, but he's written out a whole script on that. And basically, he's done research on the history of the drink and how it oh, ties yeah. into the episode and everything. Um, and I honestly think it's probably the the, you know, from a... I don't know. I hate to even use the word journalism, but from an actual, like having a journalistic value like that, that's the one segment of the show that's actually well-researched and, and you know, like <laughs> has some experience by Yeah, Chris is an amateur mixologist and before board games, that was one of his other bigger hobbies. And so he mm-hmm. knows these drinks really well. He knows the history of them. Um, you know, he follows just like we do board games. He follows like podcasts and, and um, you know, chat groups and stuff like that about cocktails. So it's really fun to have him bring that passion in. And we've always enjoyed when, when I play games with him, he would just, you know, in person, he would always make like a themed cocktail and we, and we all love it. It's just so much fun. So it's, it's great that he's sharing that with the audience as well. I'm yeah. sure there are other listeners as well that just don't have any interest in, you know, in, in drinking. Um, but Hey, if you, if you don't like that, we do timestamp the shows, just skip by it. If it's not interesting to you. Um, on the other hand, I, I do think it's probably the most entertaining 
part of the show. So it's worth a listen, even if you don't plan to, even if you don't plan to make the drinks. I wouldn't go that far, but but I mean, like, I'm sure that I can make virgin versions. I love drinking drinks. I love yummy yeah. drinks, you know, like, yeah. and, and like the, I think the Windward is one of the best examples of this because he like, he started talking about like pirates and what they did or like ship, uh, on the Navy. It was not, Navy. Yeah. It was Navy. Navy cruise, that's right? what it was. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. yeah. And so like going into that history of it and then like tying it to other things. And I was just like, what in the world? This is wild. <laughs> like this is so well researched. I'm just, fu- it's fun learning about this, this random thing about yeah. why this pairs well with this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That actually brings me to, you talked about how scripted that is. Are there other parts that are uh, scripted like your, you do the introduction to the game. Is that pretty scripted? So, um, yeah, basically what we, what I used to script more of it. Um, so I wrote the introduction and for a while was just reading that off a of script and have other people, you know, whoever's reading it does that. But now we've done it so many times that we just kind of wing through the introduction. But the game introductions we do still write and record. And oftentimes, although we try to, you know, kind of write it and, and record it at the same time as the podcast. In other words, you know, have it there and ready to read as the podcast is going. Uh, what I found lately is that I really, I, I hate putting that together before I've played the game. So unless it's a game I already know well and have played, if this is our first time playing it, what I've been doing lately is actually we go through the game night, do the podcast recording, and then the next day I write the game description. And then, you know, kind of we we split, we add it in, I record it and add it in. Um I don't know how that well that works, to be honest. When we first started the show, if you go back and listen to like our first couple episodes, the description was short, like this is a tile laying game with a card tableau and then, you know, published by this this publisher. So we didn't go very much into detail, but I got some early feedback that that really just wasn't that helpful. You know, people, you know, we're sitting there talking about a game for an hour and they don't know how the game plays or really what the mechanisms are. I started to flesh that out a little bit. And now it's, I don't know, we might have gone over the board, over the top. I feel like I'm basically like giving a full rules introduction on the last couple episodes. So if anyone has feedback for me, I'd love to know whether that's working or whether it's not. But yeah, that that part is all scripted. I I am not good at um, improvising at all and and something like that. Like there's an episode where we did a, I did just a kind of a, a quick, you know, at the end of the episode, oftentimes we talk about games that we're excited about or games that we've been playing. And I had just bought Fox in the Forest and played a couple times with my daughter. So I wanted to talk about it on the show. And it was terrible. Fox in the Forest has like three rules. It's the easiest game in the world to explain. And I couldn't remember the scoring mechanism. So it took me like five minutes stumbling through this description and Adam actually even spliced in like an editor's note saying like, this is about the funniest and worst description you'll ever hear. Have fun with it. So he, and he gave that warning because it was so bad. So no, you believe me, you, it's, it's a good thing that we script the, the rules description and the, the game description. Oh, absolutely. And I actually really like it. The, uh, how detailed it goes because okay. like with obsession, that was super helpful where like, I've kind of heard a little bit about the game, but I didn't really have an understanding of it. Other ones, you know, it, you don't spend all that much time on them because there's not that much to explain. Then when you're talking about your your hot takes, you it like really helps to tie that together. So I could see how being simple, just being like, oh, you play a couple rounds and and you play cards and that's it. You know, like <laughs> something short or, you know, whatever it was, if this is 
uh, some of them might work for that, but a lot of like Euro or deeper mechanics. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. The funny thing is that's, that's my least favorite part of making the podcast as well is, is having to write the description, the game description, because it's actually really hard to try to succinctly take everything that's in the rules in a clear enough way without visuals to try to explain to people how the game plays. And so it's something that, you know, I don't spend a ton of time on it. I can usually knock one out in about 15 to 30 minutes to write that out and then I record it. But it's never something, it's like a chore. You know, it's not something I I enjoy doing. The rest of the podcast is all fun for me, but that part of it is always like, oh God, I got to get the game description. Yeah. Now, so. <laughs> hey. so I hope it, I hope it's helpful. I hope people are liking it because it's a, it's a, it's a job. <laughs> it's definitely helpful. <laughs> you're talking about, you're talking to the king of not prepping for stuff. <laughs> I have three questions for you. That's the entire hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so what about when you finish the game, how, like how soon after you finish the game, do you actually record? Do you take time to like, make notes on what your thoughts were or anything or do you No, not at all so we basically we're we're usually on like google chat for our while we're playing so we'll i'll have my ipad up with google chat so i can see everyone's faces while my computer screen has tabletop simulator on it and we'll finish the game and i'll be like all right guys let's jump over to riverside riverside is our podcast recording um platform so everyone just hangs up from google chat we jump over into rivers riverside and we might do a quick sound check because sometimes if we don't we realize we got a mic problem or something like that so we'll do a quick sound check or just make sure it looks like everyone's connected and we can hear them and then we start and then we just press record and i jump right into the the thing so we don't really it, it is truly immediately after a lot of that comes from just us you know wanting to finish like we start game night at like seven <laughs> o'clock because everyone's had dinner with their families and things like that and we're a you know i i think we're a slower group and playing on tabletop simulator doesn't doesn't help but if you read the 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 time on a game you know like how long it's supposed to play you can pretty much count on us playing twice as long on almost any game and we're playing some heavier games like we played eclipse last night that was a three-hour game and then we recorded a podcast afterwards so a lot of it is just about like okay we're already tired it's 10 30 let's just get in and record the podcast so we we rush right into it that makes a lot of sense and bravo on the commitment because <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be exhausting it doesn't yeah, come it's across so fun, either though. It's it's so fun. Once we start talking about games, it's just like you know. I I swear, even if we weren't recording, I'm just happy that I've kind of found a way to force my friends to sit and chat about games with me. Because <laughs> when I used to do game nights, that's what I always wanted to just like rehash and kind of break down the game and talk about exciting moments and like all the stuff that we do now. But we'd finish the game and people are like, "No, I, I got to get going. I'm gonna I'm gonna get home." So now I've got them trapped. <laughs> it works yeah, great. <laughs> that's genius. That's what. <laughs> I always apply. I know we've talked about Phil and Mark from Organized Fun, but I just applaud how genius that idea of, was for him to be like, "Hey, if I make a podcast about board games, then he's got to play board games with yeah, me every week." Right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so bravo to both of you. Why did I not do this? <laughs> uh, we covered a couple of things actually in other segments, so that makes it easier but we did not cover this which is normally a first question what's your favorite game you know we recently did a top 10 list of board games of all time and the number one on that list for me at that time was anachrony and i mentioned that as well last week in our anniversary show we talked about our favorite games 
I, I don't know if that's going to stick. I really love that game. It's a wonderful puzzle. It's good solo. It's good multiplayer. It just does everything that I like in a Euro, which, um, you know, I like the kind of action selection mechanism of worker placement. And this one just adds layers upon layers to it. Fun decisions. It's tight, competitive. It's got, you know, engine building. It's And it's got a great theme on it. So right now, that's the game that if I if I had my choice and unlimited time to sit down and play with three, you know, close friends, that's the game that I would choose. So I'm saying that now. That being said, I think it's a little on the heavy side probably to stick there for very long because I don't think it's a game that I'm going to get played as often as I want to. And so, you know, that the, those things tend to fall out when you're just not playing something as much, you know, it kind of falls off the radar a little bit. So right now that's my favorite game, but that could definitely shift. Nice. I already knew that, but that's just because I listened <laughs> to the episode. <laughs> you talk about it in it. Well, it's it's stuck around for a little bit because it's yeah. in the top ten and in this anniversary. Yeah, in fact, we uh, we did a, a episode called Gaming Weekend Extravaganza where Adam came out from Long Beach and my wife was out of town, so he came out and the two of us just played games all weekend long, and that was our introduction because he had actually backed that Kickstarter, you know, for the big box and Acrony with all the expansions and decided he was going to sell it. And I'd always wanted to try it. So I was like, I'll buy it from you. Just bring it out when you come. And so we busted it out, punched it, learned it and played it that weekend. And you can hear the joy because we talk about 10 games and that game by far was the one that I, you know, just that stuck with me. Um, so pretty much since then, we, that weekend, it's it's still it's the game that every time I think about what do I really want to be playing right now, that's that's the game. But, you know, even though I play a decent amount of solo games, too, and that's a that's a great solo game. I'm not even getting that out very much because it's just it's a bigger chore to set up, you know, and I know I've got to you know spend a couple hours um, playing it. And so that's why I could see it falling off, even though I'm still in love with it. And I think I always will be. I think it's a great game, um, but I'm just not sure that. You know, like recently from solo gaming, Lost Ruins of Arnak, I don't want to take it off my table. I'm just playing it constantly. I can get that game done in 30 minutes. And so I would say that I, I could almost see that knocking uh, Anachrony off the list. So I, I think that's going to be that's going to be a changing list all the time. I'm just excited anytime I can play a new game that gets me that excited. If my top 10 shifts by next year and it's completely different games, that's a good thing. That means I've learned a whole bunch of new games. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many games coming out. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see if anyone gets any of them with the way that shipping is going and things oh like that. We, there could be a bit of a drought of uh, the way that industry people are talking about it right now. I think there could be a drought of new games. Um, so, hey, everyone, that's a great time to explore your shelf of shame and, and get some of those games sitting there played. Yeah, I'm like, don't look behind me. <laughs> <laughs> None of these get played. They're just decoration. Actually, I just printed out somebody else's cat 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 calyx. Calyx, yeah, there you go. I don't know why it's based on the name. Just printed it out and it's just a poster behind me. Those aren't real. <laughs> Riley, I got a question for you that you should include because you probably haven't been asked this question. What's your favorite game other than, well, I guess um, Organized Fun just asked you that and you said that you were leaning towards Marvel United. So what's the good game that is your favorite game? Like, do you have, do you have a second pick? <laughs> you know what? Actually, well, it's hard. Near and Far... I love Near and Far. I could literally play that anytime. I absolutely yeah. love that game. There's times where I don't necessarily want to play Marvel United. And it might be that, you know, I spent, I went all in on that. And so it's just invested <laughs> money-wise that it's my favorite. <laughs> but Near and Far is up there. And there's also a game called D6 that I almost never get to the table. Have you heard it's of a, this one? 
not deep space d6 is it no Something, it's just d6 no i don't know what that yeah, is yeah it's like dungeons dragons dames okay. dudes i don't remember what the d6 is it's essentially like a you're just bounty hunting and fighting monsters uh there's a co-op mode but i think the versus is really fun because it kind of has this like mad lib style interruption so you'll go to like attack a werewolf werewolf and then you could play a card against somebody and be like oh you go to attack them but your weapon turns into a floppy fish you know like it'll be a blank and you just get to fill in the blank and so there's kind of like some silliness happening but also you're you're trying to stop them from getting more points than you and and then you could play a bonus card that like turns the werewolf into a a a glass vase, a fragile vase. And so now you have advantage on it or something like that. And and so it's okay. just like, it's a really silly, fun game that for whatever reason, I never get to play. So with Near and Far, did you, um, are you excited about Now or Never? Have you heard about Ryan Lockett's next game in the series? Yeah. And I think a a video just, a watch it played maybe just came oh, out did, on it. Okay. Okay. Or something. There's some actual gameplay video, and that's what I've kind of been waiting on. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I I did pre-order that uh, when it came out, just because I'm such a fan of Aaron Far, and it looked like it's got some fun, you know, Euroy mechanisms to it. With the, I like the story. I like the story mixed in there. You know, I'm a Euro player, but I do like theme, and so like Aaron Far is so much fun. Where you know you go and do this thing that is really just a it's an optimization thing. I want to get this resource, but then there's a story around it, and the choice you make dictates the story. I, I love that. I think it's I think it's great flavor. I think Ryan Lockett does a good job with that. Yeah, I I think that's been my hesitancy with Now or Never is that I haven't seen the story side of it. I don't understand. Is there a story with it? Yeah, I think it's similar to Near and Far, where there's a, like a book um, or cards or something, but basically similar thing. You go to a certain location and a story event happens, and so you know that it fits into the mechanism. So I think there's going to be some similarities there. I should just go pre-order it so I can get those metal coins. If yeah, there you go, right. <laughs> and <the> FOMO. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because I'm uh, like I've loved. I don't know if you can see like. I yeah, like I more Ryan. Ryan Lockett games, but I just I love Ryan Lockett's games. They're they're so great, and he's a Utah designer. He's a local guy. Okay, that's right. I think I knew that. That's right. Have you had a chance to meet Ryan Lockett? No. Okay. He we're in the same guild, I guess, but he hasn't come for years and years for board Got game it. designers. Um, Got it. That's okay. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I'm not bitter. No. He's actually <laughs> he's really really awesome though. Like one of my friends has met him uh, and I don't know how much I can say about that, but he said he's just super nice and super cool guy. Uh, he also helps like sponsor some local events. Like we do protocon where it's a, an online or not online. We, we're doing an online one this week, but it'll be in the past from when this record or from when this airs. But he like, like how I got Rome is he donated that to protocon in person okay. which happened just before the pandemic uh, like a month or two before the pandemic broke and and that was like my introduction into gaming too like a gaming community because yeah. before it was just me and my brother so anyways okay. i ramble very cool, very cool. <laughs> get me started about me too games, <laughs> me, me too <laughs> but actually that reminded me of a question i had for you the we always end the show with ridiculous theme mm-hmm I mean, that all spawned from Euros because we think Euros, me and my friend Danny, we we would always make fun of Euros and how themeless they are, how ridiculous their themes are, that it's like gaming, stained glass windows. 
and now you're talking about how there's there's better ones. There's space themed euros, and I'm just like, right. I know they're out there. Share. <laughs> share some with us yeah okay so some of my favorite themed euros so gaia project is a heavy euro it's got a space theme on it exploration does the same thing a lot of you know traditional euros do just resource management a little bit of engine building um, but it's got a fun space theme on it so that's an easy one anachrony which i mentioned already time travel um, that's great dune imperium is is one of my favorite games of recent years. And, you know, that of course has the Dune IP on it. It really tells a story with that deck building and the, the, the worker placement in there. Somehow those two dry euros fit together and, and actually tell a, a story that escalates throughout the course of the game. Uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak is another one I just mentioned, which is a Indiana Jones type of theme on it. So yeah, those are some, those are some that are, have been on my mind lately, but that's, if you go back and listen to my top 10 list, it's like all themed euros. Scythe, Scythe is another example, one that I don't, play as much anymore but um you know kind of that that i would say was one of the big instigators for me to get really excited and into the hobby and that's what it does you know it it, it looks like a troops on a map game but it's really not it's a euro you know optimization puzzle with cool mechs and you know a, a cool theme on it it's all like children's medicine where it's like this is berry flavored it's it's good it's candy <laughs> you know like that's what i feel like because when you were naming those i'm like yes like i really want to try all of those. And I don't ever see them as euros in my mind because they have a yeah. theme. And I, that's yeah. just something I have to get over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, well, the question is, is why are there so many euros that don't have an interesting theme? Like I, I, you know, there are some really wonderful games like Castle of Burgundy. I was just thinking the other day is a fantastic game, right? And you, almost any Steffenfeld game, you know, he just did Bonfire, which actually has a fun fantasy theme on it. And I think he's done a couple others, but for the most part, they get published with just the name of a city on it. But let's make Castles of Burgundy a space exploration game. You know, like it all works. You know, you're 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 populating a, the surface of a planet. So you know, the buildings you build are types of buildings that are going to help you, you know, sustain life. And the animals that you pick up are alien creatures that you're you're like you could make that a super fun theme, and that game would be a hundred times better. It's already amazing, but it could be better. And that that goes for dozens of other games that I I'm interested in playing, but not that interested because. You know, the theme just doesn't doesn't get me excited. That yeah. said, I'm a mechanisms first person, so I will probably, if I play one of those games, I'll love it. I'm just less likely to be drawn to it unless there's an interesting theme on it. Yeah, I totally can relate to that because I always pretend like I don't like Euros, but I absolutely love them. <laughs> I just yeah. don't like the themes. I just wish I could go to outer space. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> or fantasy or whatever. It's just, yeah. So that's good to hear. I feel like you're going to help me here. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of hobbies do you have outside of board games or what do you do beyond board games? Yeah. So I, well, I have a nine-year-old daughter, so I do spend a lot of time with her. We live in Phoenix, Arizona, where it is hot all summer long. So we've been spending a lot of time in the pool together, but as far as like, you know, personal hobbies, I try to work out every day. I try to get a run in or lift weights every day. And mostly I'm doing that while listening to board game podcasts. So in, in some sense, I'm actually still doing more of my hobby, but that's kind of my (laughs) peaceful place. I've been, um, you know, pretty, pretty active and staying active for 25 years. And, and I just, I prefer not to miss a day if I can help it. So running and, and just lifting weights, that's, you know, I guess it's a hobby. Maybe it's more of a chore. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's on your attitude. <laughs> that's right. Um, that seems to be like, oh, you know what else I love? I, I, I spend a lot of time fixing up houses. 
right now we bought this house in October and it needed a, quite a bit of work. So I do a lot of that hands-on. I spent usually a good part of my weekend, you know, this weekend I was replacing baseboard in my game room and I'll be replacing a vanity soon. So I do that type of stuff. I do own a vacation house that is kind of an investment property as well. And so when I can, I, I you know, drive out there and I spend the weekend just fixing stuff up. And ultimately that's kind of my goal. You know, I'd like to retire semi kind of semi retire from my technology job, a little early and just, you know, do that, be more hands-on, fix up properties. And, and, you know, that's, that's what I, I like doing it. So for something that you can make some money at and, you know, it's, it's kind of a job, but it's actually fun to me, which I can't say that about my, my regular job for the most part. So <laughs> it, it pays the bills at this point, right? That's right. I used to be really into cinema, like classic cinema as well. I was like, a you know, every top hundred list of movies, you know, I, I made an effort to pursue them and watch them. And that was awesome. That was a super fun experience. And once I kind of made it through those those lists, I felt like that was the cream of the crop and everything just started to go downhill from there. So I, I've kind of gotten out of that hobby. Mostly the movies I care about watching now are like Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Like I, I love I love big, you know, superhero blockbuster movies, which is completely opposite of the, you know, top hundred critically acclaimed movies of all time. So there's, what are there's you time out. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I agree with you. I think they are amazing, but um, <laughs> I, other people might disagree with me. It's true. <laughs> now, uh, spoiler, this was recorded after ridiculous theme, but we've been watching a lot of HDTV and like, I like doing housework and, and renovating some stuff. And so that could be a ridiculous theme too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that for sure could. I think there's, there's been some home renovation and like blueprint, um, like home building type of games, but I think there's, there's, there's some fun to be mined there for sure. I think you could, I think you could make some fun stuff out of it. Yeah. I, that's been my, on my mind actually a lot because when we went to Portland a couple weeks ago, like anytime we were in the hotel, HGTV was on oh, yeah. <laughs> because we don't have it here at home, you know, like, and so it was just like really, really fun to watch that. And then my mind started going like, what if you like start with a random crappy house, you know, like rundown house and you have to like renovate it and you just compete to see who can renovate for the most, the highest profit. I love it. That's actually, that's a great idea, especially because every home renovation project is a little bit different. So you got asymmetric houses that the, the value of the different types of materials you need, depending on the projects your house needs could, will vary, right? Every game would be kind of a random market. Uh, sometimes yeah. some are going to be more very valuable than others. You got to compete over contractors, and, um, you know, like hiring them at the right time so they don't slow down your project. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a Lacerda game in the works right there. There you go. Bam. Ridicu- that's the golden <laughs> ridiculous theme right there. Perfect. Throw out the 2016 election and put in the, the house building one. That's perfect. And we're having some anachrony right here where <laughs> this is going to go in before that stuff. <laughs> Oops. So look forward to that. <laughs> uh, all right. Now I'll cut back into the the wherever it goes probably okay. at the introduction of ridiculous theme <laughs> <laughs> sounds good you've already given us a ridiculous theme idea with the castles of burgundy in space essentially but do you want to come up with another one ridiculous theme where we just come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game okay so i have two um neither of these which are probably going to be very interesting to anybody else but one of my other hobbies is i'm a runner uh, i haven't been running as much lately because I've, I've got a foot injury so i can only do a couple miles at a time but i used to 
love doing half marathons. Um, and I, I've done a few marathons as well. But the whole experience of going through and training and working your body up to get to, you know, do to 10 to 20 miles, the time spent with friends, if you've got a running group that you run with, and you know, you're out there for 10 miles, just talking about life for all that time, or I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts or listening to music while training for these. So I have a lot of great memories of training for running, uh, a lot of great memories of running, you know, these big races, locations all over the world. And I've done Mexico City and Death Valley. And, um, you know, it's just the, the whole lifestyle there I love. But there is not, as far as I know, any games about running a marathon. And I feel like I feel like it could be done. I'm worried. I just got a chance to play Flamme Rouge the other day, which is about, you know, bicycle racing. It was a fun enough game, but the the mechanisms of it were just a tad dry. Um, I don't think it's something I'd want to go back to too often. Um, so I'd be worried about a game about running a marathon, which is a slow plotting, you know, four hour exercise <laughs> would probably also end up dry. But I feel like, I feel like there's a way to make that fun, like a, like a deck building mechanism and the stuff that you, you pick up or the things that you might, you know, like might happen on the course. Um, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure there's a game that could be made out of somebody will probably, will probably do one. But to me, that's a theme that hasn't been explored. It's not, not that wacky, but it's a, it's a theme that I'm. I'd be interested to see for sure. I could totally see that. Is you mentioned deck building, and I think of like, well, it's it's definitely an endurance thing. Yeah. So like, you've got to build your deck, and I almost feel like you'd get exhaustion every time you like cycle through your deck or something, or like you could push yourself, but that would exhaust you more. Yeah. Yeah, that's very similar actually to what Flam Rouge does, which is it's a deck builder where you start with with two decks of cards for each of your cyclists. And then as you, every time you play one, that card goes away. So if you play the better cards in your deck, then you've spent it. So oh. you're, you're going to move slower unless you've saved up, unless you've kind of started slow, you're going to run out of energy at the end. But the other thing that happens is that whenever you end around at the beginning um, in front of everybody else, then you get an exhaustion card, which is a low numbered card that goes into your deck. So it does some of those things. But what I think was missing is that every card in the deck is just a number. And, you know, that's wow. fine. It's easy. But I'm thinking, like, if you could make something similar where the cards that you have the opportunity to collect, you know, you go, you get to an aid station at a marathon, and now you've picked up some kind of power-up that's going to show back up in your deck later. Maybe, you know, it's a gummy. Maybe, But you can make it fun. You know, you can make it silly. I remember being at the 20-mile mark of the LA Marathon, and somebody was handing out little cups of beer. <laughs> and I grabbed one. I was like, you know, I was hurting by that point, and I was excited. I was feeling good enough. And I was like, I can take this. And almost immediately I drank that little cup of beer and almost immediately I like hit a wall and it probably had nothing to do with the beer, but it probably wasn't a great idea <laughs> anyway. And, but that's the type of thing, you know, when you're at a marathon, people are handing out like candy, people are like cheering you on. So there's all these things that can happen during a marathon that can motivate you or get you excited that I think you could fit into a fun deck building experience. Nice. Yeah. I could totally see that. You don't want it to feel like a marathon, though. I no, think. <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Don't, nobody wants to sit through four hours of just like pain and, and plotting along. I don't know why we do it to ourselves, but you don't want to make that into a board game. <laughs> you could also, oh, man. Okay, this could be the thing. You could do training, like the first three rounds or something would be training. And that would be the part where you're building your deck. And then you finish it with the marathon and see how far you can get 
and whoever gets the farthest wins or that's yeah there you go know, something that's, like that th- that's a fun idea another one that another racing game that did something fun but put a really silly theme on it was like cubitos oh yeah you know which isn't a deck builder they used a dice pool which i thought i found a bit fiddly um so i think i prefer a deck builder but you know you know like even that worked pretty well so yeah, I guess we just we don't have enough game designers that are that are marathon runners. I guess I, I, <laughs> it's a pretty big hobby. I'm surprised nobody's done that yet. Yeah, that is. It's probably that they've tried it and it just is never fun. <laughs> it's probably, there's probably no way to make running a marathon fun. I think it can be done. It's just a challenge. <laughs> that's that's the fun thing about design. It's like okay, I've got this idea. How do I make it actually fun? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I had one other idea. Now, this is, again, this is not going to be very interesting to a lot of people, and it's outdated. It's not fresh anymore. But when I was first getting into the hobby and starting to listen to board game podcasts, I was usually doing this while running, while training for races and stuff like that. But the other type of podcast I was listening to a lot at the time was political podcasts. This was you know, shortly before the 2016 election. That was such a circus, that whole, you know, the election, the media coverage of the election, the characters that were in that 2016 U.S. election, it was it was all so silly. And so I would sit there and listen to a game podcast and hear about game mechanisms, and my mind would start to insert in the silly events that had happened. And so I actually designed a game called 2016. I only got to a prototype stage with it, and it was all about essentially running for that election. But what was fun to me was that there were so many things that I don't think people even remember now, four years on, how ridiculous the coverage of that election was and some of the events and the the things that would get coverage and the things that were said and got away with that you could insert those into a game and it would it would just seem like a like a caricature of you know of politics, but it wouldn't be. It'd be totally real. Yeah. Um, but my design, my design was, um, it, you know, it was because I was fairly new in games. I was taking some mechanisms that I knew well, and the two that I kind of mixed together were worker placement and deck building. Which is funny since that's been a popular blend lately. The worker placement was, and you know, you, you were a candidate and you were sending out some of your your workers out to different areas. But the workers were going to be specific, you know, like people that were part of that election. They all had their own ability based on who they were. So they would go out and do different things like, uh, you know, raise money or, you know, influence, like have a media appearance and, and cause some influence. But the deck building part that I thought would, would have been fun to explore more was it was going to be set into three phases. And at the end of each phase, you'd have a debate. And so the deck building part was, it was a shared deck building where certain event, certain actions you could take would put an event into the debate deck and then during the debate, it would be shuffled up and certain events would come up. Basically, certain topics would come up. And depending on who put it in there, it'd be beneficial or negative. And then there'd be scoring after the debate session. So pretty silly, I know, and not not very interesting, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But to me, as somebody who was a political junkie at the time and just starting to get into board games, that the idea of, of you know taking that election and making a, a game out of it just seemed so entertaining to me. <laughs> I got to a prototype phase on it and then... The, the, shortly after the 2016 election, I realized nobody ever wants to have anything to do with this ever again. So I scrapped it. I was just like, it's never going to be interesting to anyone. But I swear in 10 years, looking back, you could you could actually take some of the events that happened and some of the media coverage and put that into a, a game and it would people would just be laughing because they're like, there's no way that could happen in real life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's hard on like you see things on Kickstarter and both 
left and right leaning games never do yeah. well. Like no, if no. it's a political game, it's it's likely not getting funded. No, absolutely. And that was one of the challenges too, is obviously like, you know, if you have a stance in that election and almost everybody in the United States seems to have a strong opinion, you're going to hate something that gets represented in a game like that. You know, like, so you've just caught out 50% of the audience in, in the first place, but yeah, and it would never, never would have again met me, but I still think I, I'd be, I'd be interested if somebody did the right treatment of it. I think that that could be a, you know, a time period that is worth looking back at and hopefully learning from. I mean, you could just make it a fictional. Th- well, you could have it be like <laughs> aliens or something, you know, yeah, like take exactly. away the, the historical people and the and names, right? The names. Yeah. And replace them with characters. Exactly. Like, that don't resemble them maybe, but, and you could probably do it. <laughs> yeah, you totally could. But I, I almost think it would lose its, um, you know, then it would just be a caricature and it would just be silly. You know, yeah. it, it's what's, what makes it actually like worth exploring, I think, is the fact that these things actually happened. Very but true. Anyway, anyway, that, that was for me. I, I doubt there's many people outside of the 538 crowd that is going to be, uh, you know, interested at all, but it, it seemed like it would be fun to me. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I uh, Well, I've got a ridiculous theme real quick. Okay. This is pretty much what it'll tie into. I'm trying to do a ridiculous theme every time. Sometimes I forget. Making a podcast, editing a podcast, actually. So, like, you would have clip. I don't know how you would do it necessarily. But, like, essentially having a guest or maybe you have to decide your theme of your show and try and structure it and edit it. Uh, and and how tight of an interview it is would give you more points. I don't know how it would work. It's a ridiculous thing. Yeah. Well, I've already got I've got Eurogame mechanisms running around in my head right now. Like there's a you know there's competition. Think of almost like obsession where you had to compete for the best guest at the end of the round. So you have to oh. you have to do certain things to pull a guest in, and then um, you'll you'll have to uh, get the right resources to to build up your equipment and get right resources to you know that that uh, yeah <clears throat> I could see you putting that together. I mean that. That makes sense. That I like good. it. I like it. <laughs> you just made it way, way better with that idea. <laughs> That's the, I love that. That's the fun thing about ridiculous theme is sometimes you can just like collab on it and yeah, then all of a sure. sudden it's, it takes form. <laughs> so, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. I love your show. Plug your stuff. Thanks, Riley. I appreciate it. This was really fun for me as well. And it's been really fun hearing some of the other personalities you've had on the show. It's great. So um, love love that you're doing this. So uh, thanks again to everyone who um, already listens to us. But if you don't, you can find us at Board Game Hot Takes um, on any podcast platform, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Come out and, and uh, check us out. You can find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes and on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes. I'm generally a lot more active on Twitter. So if you actually want to interact and, and see regular updates other than just when we release a new show, Twitter is the place to follow us. If anyone is listening for the first time and you're intrigued, please check us out. I'd love to uh, get more people in our community and, uh, and share our love of games with all of you. Thank you so much for listening. I had a lot of fun talking with Tim and the podcast Board Game Hot Takes, probably my top five favorite podcasts to listen to. So if you haven't listened to it, go give it a listen. Way, way better than this podcast. This is a two star podcast at best, folks. 
Any of the other hot takers are welcome on the show. If you want to come on, just reach out. Let me know. I would love to have any of you. Some really quick news I'm going to try and go through. I got to play a couple of guests games. So going all the way back to episode one, Tim Plampasona, who works with the Cardboard Revolution Co-op, I got to play their game Mononoke, and I got to play it with a bunch of the designers. It was an absolute blast. It's like a mostly co-op game, but sometimes you got to be a little selfish and trick your teammates so that you can get one of your personal objectives done. It was just It was a really, really interesting game. Eventually, that'll be coming to Kickstarter, I think. I also got to play, going forward one episode, John Texaro Moffat's game, Night Soil. We talked about it in that episode. It's essentially a game where you go through like a medieval town collecting poop. And it's like a worker placement. But where you place your workers generates the poop cubes. And then you got to evacuate the cubes out of the city and collect them for money. But then they also have laborers that, I mean, it is just a really, really cool game. It seemed kind of intimidating at first. Like looking at it at first, I thought this isn't going to be that complicated. But then when we started learning it, I was like, whoa, there's way more to this than I expected. And I felt like I was going to be overwhelmed with everything. But within like the first round, it was just like, yeah, I understand what I'm doing. I got this. And I ended up absolutely killing it. I am King Poop over here. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends and leave a review. If there's something I can do better, you could always reach out and let me know too, because I am always looking at ways of improving. Maybe my format is way too scattered and I'm way too all over the place, but I don't ever prep for these types of things, really. I, I have three or four questions and the rest I just leave up to wherever we end up going, just wherever the conversation goes, because I really want it to be an open, fun conversation. Someone left a two-star review, but no feedback, which is fine. I just would love to know what to do better, because I am always looking at ways of improving the show. If there is someone out there in the board game community who you think would be a great guest, then let me know. I would love to reach out to them. I've reached out to a couple of people that have been requested, so hopefully they'll be coming on soon. In the show notes, you can find a link to Rick Lorenzen's GoFundMe, who was a contributor to this show, my last podcast, and also to Board Game Hot Takes. It's really cool to go back and listen to some of the older episodes where they'll read something Rick wrote in, and I just think it's really cool. Rick was such an amazing part of the community, and and he's greatly, greatly missed. There's a GoFundMe to help take care of the kids that he left behind. You can follow me on Twitter or get in contact with me on Twitter or email at nerdoutwithus or the board game community show at gmail.com. Such a long email, am I right? Protocon was last week. Great success. It was a lot of fun. I played for 12 hours, hoping to do an episode that focuses on that soonish. But for now, you can just rest easy and know that it was an absolute blast. I gamed for 13 total hours and 12 of those hours were consecutive. Woo, exhausting. So thank you again for listening. I really, really appreciate all the support. And until next time, keep nerding out.